Hello and welcome to the Climate Change Unfolding podcast. It's an interview today with a friend and general all-round awesome human being, Etienne Stott. His story's fascinating one for me especially, and we know each other originally because we both came from competitive whitewater backgrounds. So I compete in kayak freestyle, which is equivalent of freestyle skiing or snowboarding where we're doing tricks and flips and so on. And Etienne's a racer, a slalom racer to be specific, a highly technical racing down sections of whitewater around and hopefully through gates that hang over the, the whitewater. And so we were never competing directly against each other, but we'd often end up uh, training on the same section of whitewater and more recently, pretty much alongside my own internal changes, I've seen Etienne also get increasingly engaged and outspoken on climate change. But before we launch into the interview, let me just give you a bit more background on Etienne so you know who it is that we're listening to. After starting canoeing as a kid and falling in love with sport, he had like a 20-year professional canoe slalom career. And the career was full of accolades, but none more high profile, I suppose, than the 2012 London Olympics, where Etienne and his crewmate Tim Bailey won a gold medal. And the gold medal in the Olympics is a like, very special thing. And um, as everyone knows, and I'll leave a short video in the show notes of a recap of the final of the Olympics, where Etienne won his gold medal in really amazing moments. And in recognition for that, he was awarded an MBE from the Queen for outstanding achievement and service to the community. And that moment in the Olympics, I'm sure, is a defining moment in Etienne's life. But I think maybe people don't understand this from the outside quite as much. But important for the people who've competed at a high level is that, yeah, it's great to have that external recognition, especially at the Olympic level. I'd imagine that has going to have ripple effects through the entire rest of his life. But but it's really not about that one moment. It's really a, more about the 20 years build up to that, what it took to get there. And I think the length and intensity of Etienne's career taught him a lot about life, about performance, about people. Even from the outside, it was really obvious to me that Etienne was a man with very high integrity. <laughs> and as with many top performers, he's ended up digging pretty deep into his own psyche and motivations and backed up more recently with an open university degree in psychology. He's he has real fascinating insight on people and our current plight with climate change. And he's been outspoken on social issues, particularly climate change, and um, even taking a bold personal decision to be arrested as part of the Extinction Rebellion actions in London in spring 2019, which we'll dig into more in the interview. And more recently, he's been putting all of his other commitments to one side, and he's working full-time as a climate activist as part of the Extinction Rebellion movement, which is amazing. Um, I think that's enough introduction. Let me cut to it. This is my Skype conversation with Olympic gold medalist turned extinction rebellion climate activist, Etienne Stott. So Etienne, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sam. Really nice to speak to you. I'm looking forward to it and uh, it's good, good to be here. So I've watched from the outside a bit of personal transformation happening to you as you become increasingly passionate and interested in climate change issues. But I thought that would be a good place to start with a bit of background, how you came to be interested in all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I, I've been reflecting upon myself to some extent. Um, how did I end up here? But I, I was being interested in the environment, I suppose, for quite a long time. I, I signed up to something called 1010. Back in 2010, it was an organization that was trying to get this on the agenda. I went to uh, a big climate march in 2009. So it's something that I was interested in. And I kind of, you know, I suppose being a paddler and, and I 
grown up, you know, in the scouts, I really appreciate the outdoors, appreciate nature and, and the environment. And it was just something that I saw as, as a bit of a problem, as a bit of an issue. And that even during my time as a paddler, you know, as an elite athlete, traveling around the world, doing all of that, you know, some parts of it, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit, bit much sometimes. Um, but then at the end of my career, I suppose I started to learn more about it somehow you know just must have read something and, and started to learn more go on you know watch talks on the internet read articles and talk to a few people and just started to realize actually what a dire position we're in right now what what an emergency situation that we're in and then you know I was trying to do bits and pieces my my bit I suppose take responsibility for certain parts of my life to try and make them better and reduce my impact and then it was in the, you know, at the back end of 2018 when Extinction Rebellion kind of emerged and they had this model of nonviolent civil disobedience that they were saying, you know, they think that that's the way that this is going to get sorted out because all other methods have basically failed up to this point. All the, all the methods, all the charities, all the NGOs that have worked on this have not really managed to create the changes that are required to stop us destroying ourselves and, and everything that we love and so when I found out about Extinction Rebellion I was like okay I think I'm going to get involved in that because that seems really good and I really thought the philosophies and the ideas behind it the structure and the principles were really you know accorded really well with my own ideas and my own principles and one step led to another and this is where I am now. It feels so relatable to me, having watched from the outside you, you know, making all these changes and then becoming increasingly sort of vocal and engaged and active. It's just so many parallels, you know, we've both been in kayaking and both, okay, in a different uh, scale and different discipline, but like both having competitive careers and then they're mm. both kind of our attention moving more directly. So I can really relate. It's really interesting. It's quite cool to have you getting more in involved and active. Well, it's, so really, it's really fun to see. Learn to know, you know, to get to know you as well, to find other people are interested in this because sometimes it can seem a little bit like there's not that many people interested in it so it's it's really cool and is but it's massively massively more and more now it's growing like crazy but you know it's definitely cool to meet someone in paddling as well so it's good yeah that's good yeah i mean oh god there's so many different directions i can go but i think maybe you know something you touched on there was where you know something that got you engaged was where you realized what the actual situation is and I think a lot of people kind of have this loose idea about it but I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit on what mm. the reality of what it is actually at stake here for our planet and for us yeah I mean you hear fairly commonly in uh, in Extinction Rebellion people talking about you know using the f word to describe how how much the trouble we're in and I think that we are in an emergency basically we are now in a situation that even the United Nations say we've got something like, well, in 2019, we've got about 11 years left to really to mm -hmm. dip below the 1.5 degrees average temperature rise um, before things start to unravel. And the truth is, is that if we, at the rate that we're going now, if we warm our climate up by more than 1.5 degrees, um, we're going to get these positive feedback loops where, for example, once the Arctic sea ice melts, it becomes not a reflective surface, which is reflecting the sun's energy back into space. It becomes a dark surface, which absorbs even more heat, which warms even quicker. 
and you get these feedback loops, which basically mean the temperature rises will become uncontrollable and, and increase to the point where it could become very dangerous. And all of a sudden, the places around the world that are already warm will become very, very warm. The central parts of continents will become perhaps so hot that it would be a real struggle for people to live there because it's going to be too hot for them. Their water supplies will be, you know, under strain. They may be struggling to grow food. And then they're going to start to think, well, we can't live here anymore. Where are we going to go? And there may be tensions and wars because of that, mass migrations because of this. And also a lot of our food in the global north and, you know, the more affluent parts of the world, a lot of our food is grown in these places. So our food supplies are going to start to come under strain. And I think it was really interesting just a few uh, months ago now, the Environment Agency in the UK said that by, I think it was by 2050, um, I know it's by 2030, they said that our water supply in the UK would be under massive pressure and perhaps there wouldn't be enough water to go around. So, or, you know, literally not enough water in the taps to, to sort everybody out in the UK by 2030. And once that starts to happen, the, you know, society comes under more and more strain. And then if you combine that with freak weather events where people are getting flooded and, and perhaps having droughts, you know, we had many, many thousands of people died last year in the UK because of the hot weather. They weren't killed directly because of the hot weather, but they were already vulnerable to these, you know, to these high temperatures. Yeah. You get people stuff, people dying, um, you get resources strained, you get um, people perhaps struggling to get insured for their houses. You know, all of these effects are compounding each other. They're complex effects, struggling basically to to continue to live as we are now and then you start to get social problems because of it because you know the government will be strapped for cash because they'll be spending a lot of money trying to sort things out and things services will suffer and all of a sudden things start to get quite bad and there is david attenborough himself has talked about the collapse of civilization Mm -hmm. and this is kind of how it happens because when people become under pressure they don't have enough food water and safe shelter people start to get their best human behavior doesn't become uh, very common anymore we start to see some pretty bad stuff happening um rioting and and um you know unrest um you get the rise of fascism as well when people start to look after their own and do not um look outside their own communities or their own even their own small groups and you can get a very very dangerous situation very quickly so for me there's a very real threat and it does sound quite apocalyptic i have to be honest and i sometimes find it almost um well it's very scary but i find it almost hard to believe looking out the window everything's so wonderful at the moment but around the world in other parts of the world there's already these problems already happening you know the war in syria apparently was um there was basically a lack of water in the in the countryside people were starting to struggle in the countryside the countryside became restive and and the populations there started to move into the cities causing problems and part of the the destabilization in syria was attributable to climate change in that part of the world and so it is scary and for me it is very real it's not uh, abstract i think that a lot of people kind of understand what global warming is and maybe now they've started to think about a climate emergency, but that's still not really manifesting. Although we can see now on the news, there's stuff happening almost every day on the news, extreme weather events. And then also we combine on top of that the ecological crisis of species extinction, you know, mm-hmm. mass extinctions of, of 
the species that we are reliant upon really um, down in, in the food chain and insects and bees and all this sort of thing. And it starts to become really apparent that we've got a huge number of threats facing us and the current leaders that we have are doing very little about it. And in fact, business as usual is considered, you know, is continuing and maybe even gathering pace in some respects. You know, there seems to be no slowdown in any of these behaviours that are ecocidal, you know, that's the word, ecocidal behaviours which are killing our environment and ourselves by extension because we're part of the environment. So for me, the threat is very real, it's very scary, and I feel that I must try to take action, but I also believe there is a possibility of avoiding this. So that's what I'm involved in. So many things that I could talk about from that. I think you've really articulated it so well. You bring it to life and clearly you've got the idea of the whole interconnected thing. And it's like I've had the same sort of realizations and it it took me a while to really piece it all together. But once you do, you feel the power of it and you think, wow, it's so critical that things need to be done. And I think, what, you know, one of the things you're, you're doing there, which I think is missing, is making it directly relatable to the people who need to act. And, you know, there's a problem that is so distant, yeah. you know, feels so distant. If it's just polar bears and people in Africa, people just put it on a shelf somewhere that's not relating to them, you know, mm. and so it's it's abstract, like you said. So I, I think the great that's... danger is that by the time these effects are becoming, you know, really visible in our country, you know, we're where by the time we have huge migrations of people coming to us to, you know, who want to live here because their places are uninhabitable, it's going to be 10 years too late. You know, by the time we're struggling for water, it's going to be 10 years too late. And that action has to be taken now. So there has to be some imagination and also some eye opening you know look over there this is what's happening wildfires in, yeah. in 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 california these are this is happening now but it's just not happening in front of your neighborhood and mm-hmm. but so it is you know i feel kind of sometimes bad you know this is scary we to scare people and make people scared is not necessarily a nice thing to do but it's really important because to be scared then creates a different energy a different sense of urgency mm-hmm. and this isn't this is an emergency and so i i, I do try to be careful about that and I try to make sure I always talk about the positive things that we could do or the positive you know the positives of this situation as well like that dialogue that you just kind of articulated really important for like getting people like shocking people into action but they also need to see that climate change action is not just about personal sacrifice and living in a crappy world you know there's elements of of like community cultivating sort of local community mm. action and, and engagement rewilding and all and a, and a bunch of other sort of decentralized power grids and all of these things that kind of like actually are, are very empowering for the individual and, yes. and about human connection and, and so they need to hear that positive story as well which is yeah. I, I think extinction rebellion doing a fantastic job of bringing that sort of fear to life mm. uh, and i think that's really important but i think alongside that hand in hand and i think they recognize this also that there needs to be this dialogue of like this is not about us all staying at home living in a box and just eating carrots that we grew in a garden you know we, we no. can we can still live a fulfilling life and a healthy life yeah and um, anyway that's an important thing but yeah well, so, i think extinction rebellion are really really it's a kind of slightly less seen brother of what's going on because massively part of extinction rebellion is this idea of regenerative culture which is about creating these resilient communities and becoming and behaving in this way where we are actually living 
in connection with each other and living actually the quality of life that is slightly missing from modern society, it seems to me, which has been replaced by consumerism and all that. When we take those things away, we could actually have something very beautiful and positive as well as hopefully saving ourselves. And as a, by extension, if we don't quite, ma- well, we're not going to manage to fix this. There is going to be consequences. There are going to be problems. If we can create those communities that can deal with those problems better, then that's also going to be very positive. So it's a kind of win-win situation in, in that respect. What I see as their model of their intention. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, the world needs to hear what you've got to say because you, you speak of it in a very articulate way so that's and um, so it's nice to hear that positive vision combined with the other thing as mm. a kind of high profile individual with the olympic background and you're competitive you you've a bigger platform to almost mm. to send that message out but you you got involved directly with these strikes and these arrests yourself so i'd like to hear a bit of your personal choice to be involved with that mm. um direct peaceful protest disruption and and you know what was at stake for you and why did he decide it was worth it well it's a really interesting thing because i think that um civil disobedience you know as i understand it is what happens what people end up doing when their voices are being ignored you know and this happened in in with the well with the civil rights movement martin luther king did this you know gandhi did this when they are asking people to listen to what their their I suppose their grievances were in this situation or and the same in our situation now you know there's an issue here a huge issue and it's not being listened to and you can do the petitions and you can do the marches like that march I went on in 2009 did literally nothing it wasn't even on the news the next day and uh, the Copenhagen meeting that it was designed to kind of invigorate did achieve not a great deal as far as I could tell and and it was a bit of a disappointment so civil disobedience model is basically what happens when people are starting to feel like they've got no choice there is this next level which is the, the the terrible level where people become violent and they start to do horrible horrible things um which what terrorists choose to do which in fact the, the social science literature as i understand it shows that it doesn't really work and the other thing is or it's less effective than non-violent civil disobedience the other thing that violence also does is it creates problems in the peace you know afterwards when when the violence has subsided there's still horrible grievances and misery left over the echoes echo through the years like in northern ireland for example you know it's going to take yeah. generations for that to happen so for me this peaceful idea is really absolutely crucial and for me the idea to break the law um, in literally the most mellow way possible, literally sitting in a road on a bridge and saying, I'm not going to move. Um, It seemed to be something possible to do for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a law abiding person. I I've lived in a sport, which is all about obeying the rules at the end of the day. Sports is about that. Um, I, I don't take pleasure in breaking rules. I have respect for the law. I have respect for the police. Um, and breaking the law in this way is a huge thing to do, but it's also hugely powerful and it's very symbolic. You're saying, in fact, the idea of saying you've been disobedient is to say you are no lo- I no longer respect your authority because you are letting me down. You're letting us down. You're not doing your job. And so I'm not going to play the game anymore. I'm going to be disobedient. So 
and, and if you do provided that it's done peacefully, it's a very powerful symbolic statement to the authorities. It's a powerful symbolic statement to the public who suddenly ask themselves, hold on, why are these people doing this? What's going on here? And I hope that by virtue of me being an Olympic champion, they might even think to themselves, hold on, why is this guy doing that? Because he's an Olympic champion. Surely he should be out driving Aston Martins and earning thousands of thousands of pounds doing after dinner speeches and things like this. And I'm like, no, um, that's certainly not my life, never has been. But I believe I'm trading in or trading against my good reputation, all the goodwill that I have accumulated and you know created, I suppose, all the conversations, the people who think I'm a good person, I am kind of, you know, banking that against this question to say, why would this person, this nice person, this good person, this gentle, kind person that I believe I am, do this for no reason? Surely there must be a very important reason that he's doing that. And and the reason is, is that we're in an emergency and we need our government to change the course. And we need also society to understand why changing that course is necessary. So it is a huge step, you know, being taken into a police van and then put in a police cell. It's like being in a TV show, you know, it's like that happens. You see the door opens of the cell and you go inside it and it closes and they close a little viewing shutter and you're there on your own and you're thinking, right, well, this is obviously a big moment and it's <laughs> it's quite the experience. But actually it's backed up by a fundamental deep-seated commitment to what I'm doing. I've thought about it extremely carefully. You don't just do it just for the fun of it. Um, mm-hmm. And of course there are consequences to it, but I am, I believe that the consequences of inaction are worse at, at a sort of social level. But for me, the consequences of me not being active in this area are, are grave for myself because it's basically me knowing that there's a problem and me willfully pressing that down inside myself, ignoring it, bottling it away, which I think is a psychologically unhealthy thing to do spiritually. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I don't know that word means a lot to different people, but I mean, it's bad for your kind of soul. You know, um, I think that for me, this act and this act is one of the reasons why I believe lots of people are doing this. And it's the same with the school strikes that Greta Thunberg has inspired. This is people saying, I am doing this because I believe it's right. And there has to be a cost involved. People should hopefully think this is a cost here. This person is using, you know, this is costly to that person. And therefore, mm-hmm. they must believe that there is some reason to make that cost justified. And for me, the, the, the justification is that this is you know, the, the difficulty of the situation we're in. The graveness of the situation means that all sorts of actions can become more possible mm-hmm. because we're in this difficult situation so that you know and for example that might mean personal sacrifices for example like I don't choose not to fly anymore um people see that as a personal sacrifice but to me that is also a symbolic act to say actually there's a big question here and to make this a question mark for other people to consider and hopefully I believe in the goodness of people they will consider it and maybe think that they might do something different themselves or they will at least be on that journey towards doing something differently for themselves. Wow. Yeah. I mean, thanks for sharing all that. And, th- and thanks for acting. I, sh- I suppose I should say, you know, and thanks for, um, you know, taking the lead on all that. And, mm. and I suppose, Thank you, you know, you feel like you said you, you're trading in your, you know, the, the reputation and whatever else, but I, I do think that history will look kindly on yourself and other mm. people like you. So, you know, even if it's a jarring society yeah. right now, 
give a few years and a bit of context and for everything to really yeah. sink in, history is going to look kindly on you. It's and, very kind of you to say that. Yeah. So, yeah, so thanks, I guess. And so, okay, so moving, you know, I see the power in it. I see the importance. But what are these movements? What is the Extinction Rebellion, the school strikes? What have we got to do now to keep that? message alive and mm. to not alienate yourself and to inspire change but not hate moving forwards what's what's next for these movements yeah do you think? i mean yeah it's, it's interesting um i suppose there is a pressure i'm very aware that i, I kind of see extinction rebellion as perhaps being if it, if it doesn't work out it will be well i suppose we'll be no worse off than we are now we'll be heading towards disaster and we will not have changed anything you know um so in a way it's a kind of a shot to nothing but there is this idea that we you know we kind of need this to go right and i believe we need this to go right um but i think that the movement needs to grow or hopefully people just people will be persuaded that this is an important thing and and uh, first of all i guess when people get that it's an emergency then they will think, okay, this is an emergency. The next question is, so, okay, what do we do about it? Then their answer to that is, well, you know, doing all personal choices doesn't really have this massive impact. It needs to be at a system systems level, a systemic level changes are required. And that is involves governments. And so for governments to change, that requires mobilization of people. And if people see that these steps, one step follows to the next, we need more and more people you know, to basically become active and to become prepared to say, actually, I'm prepared to trade in a little bit of, you don't have to be arrested, you don't have to be doing anything like this if you don't wish to, that's really important to say, but actually starting to see that if they do not take action now, there's going to be massive problems, their lives are going to be affected, and this is going to affect people's lives in the, in the, in the next decades, and therefore, I suppose fundamentally the equation just becomes about the cost of inaction versus the cost of action and once people realize the cost of inaction if they really get that then they will start to push our government they'll start to pr produce the support for the changes that we need to make in society so we need as people and individuals i, I watched this beautiful clip the other day and, and i maybe show it to you it was basically saying okay you, you don't have to be this perfect eco person and, and nobody is but actually we have to talk about this to, with people about it make this because most people, I think, see this as a problem, but most people don't see it as something they can talk about with other people. They kind of see it as a maybe a private concern. But actually, more and more people are talking about it now. And when more and more people talk about it, it becomes more of a thing. And then naturally, action stems from that. So I think it is very important that people talk about it. Extinction Rebellion as an organisation, look, we have to keep pushing because the government in this country, um, well, no, the government, the, it was the... The House of Parliament, they declared a climate emergency, which is very great. You know, it counts as a great victory, but they still want to build a third runway in Heathrow, for example. And there's all sorts of other things that are completely counter to this idea that we're in a climate emergency. And I don't think they, they I think they've, they've kind of said that to make people feel better and perhaps to placate us a little bit. But we know that this isn't, the actions are still not happening to back those words up. So the pressure will need to continue. And I feel very determined, but I am also kind of worried that they're not doing enough, nowhere near enough. And we're going to have to carry on and it's going to call, we're going to have to keep making action. We're going to have to keep pushing the government to, to take this seriously. And that is a delicate thing, but the, 
it's always kind of judging as well. The the public need to need to bring the public along and the public perception along with with us, so that they were always kind of pushing the limit of what the public are prepared to listen to, and what they're prepared to do. And that is quite a delicate balance. And so, yes, in Britain, certainly at the start of the Extinction Rebellion, the International Rebellion in April, there was a huge uproar from, you know, well, it seemed like a, a vocal a vocal number of people were saying this is terrible, this is, you know, huge disruption, rah-de-rah. But then a lot, a lot of people were saying, thank goodness, thank you for doing this, because now someone's doing something about this concern that I've had for quite a while and I didn't know what to do about it. And I think if that dynamic continues, then then we hopefully will keep growing and keep you know be ultimately successful because well there's no planet B but there is no kind of plan B we have to find a way of changing course here and we have to find a way of doing that non-violently with compassion and with love rather than with division and hatred we have to try and find a way of making this happen in in a short time as well which makes it doubly difficult but what else can we do just try and win people over and understand when people aren't being won over yet we're still doing it for them and try to explain what we're doing and and hopefully like you say people we will be on the right side of history I do believe we will be on the right side of history or be recognized of having attempted to be on the right side of history and all that said there's probably some big struggles ahead of us to succeed because it's not an easy task but in the struggling you know you know as an athlete and this is something that's very important to me as an athlete. We have this goal in mind, you know, winning the Olympics or winning this race or doing the good in that competition, whatever. But actually, there's a satisfaction, a deep joy and a deep fulfillment from actually working on a day-to-day basis towards that goal, regardless of whether you're successful or not. And that, for me, was really powerful in my time in sport. And this, this similar here, we've got this goal, which may or may, may not be achievable, but in living towards it on a day-to-day basis in an authentic way is a very beautiful, powerful and very nice thing to do in in, in simple terms. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, great stuff, mate. Yeah, so I agree, changes have got to come top-down. Well, top-down and bottom-up, yeah, you know, but, all, yeah, at, but all at once. The top-down doesn't happen unless bottom-up happens you know all of the great movements and the social change in history have come from the bottom up and then the you know there's too much self-interest in in the status quo in the top elite you know but for them to make lead the change it's got to come it's got to come from the people and all of the best changes come from the people so extinction rebellion um this friday's for future so so i've just today by the way is the first day where every friday now from here forwards just a side note but every friday from here forwards um i'm effectively striking from my normal work and i'm only working on climate change orientated projects this is nice so i've kind of taking my uh, you know this day and making sure that i'm you know i'm saying no to all of the work stuff that that can pop up and yeah. and uh, so and and, and, and i feel like i could be doing that on other days but i think it's important to be a part of that and, it, and it's encouraging mm-hmm. to me to feel part of something yeah, yeah. great which i think is and there is a sense of like loneliness on this yeah. journey let's say but when you're part of something big it's exciting and it's it yeah. feels like you're a tiny little slither of making history and so i think yeah. people have that unique opportunity there's never a time so far that as many people here have been talking about climate change yeah, yeah. and as active as it is now things have really changed like 
you know, not that long ago, there was there was a climate change debate, the first in two years in the UK Parliament, and there was 10 out of 700 MPs present. Mm-hmm. And now, like, weeks or just a few months later, climate emergencies, a lot of people talking about it. And so yeah. it's an exciting time. You know, and yeah. the David Attenborough effect is also really powerful. So, yeah, I really appreciate all the stuff you're saying. And I, well, and I think I, it's about symbolic, that. isn't it? It's a symbolic actions as well, you know. So your actions, I understand it's wonderful, you know, that you're saying you're dedicating this day to working on this task. But also it's very symbolic because we don't just live on our own. Our lives have an effect on everybody else's lives and other people will see them, see you going, ah, okay, he's not doing that. Then maybe I could do something like that. Or maybe, you know, this is a thing. Again, this is making this into a thing that ripples out. And I believe massively this movement is gaining momentum all the time. And it is, I think, I really feel in back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, you'd have been very lonely doing this stuff. You know, you might find a few people. But now, actually, I can have conversations with almost every single person I have a conversation with. They get this and they kind of, they're maybe not yet, you know, um, sat down on a, on a bridge and they might not mm-hmm. never be but they actually understand the basis behind what you're doing and then I think now you're feeling that as well and this is definitely something that is definitely gaining momentum it's growing bigger and more and more people are getting involved and I think that's really cool really really cool what can someone listening do to feel a part of this how can they get involved like to kind of it, you know, bring it together and sort of wrap up. What could someone do listening today and they're going to finish this podcast and be like, okay, I want to be a part of this, whether small or big or however, mm. to, whether it's getting arrested on the bridge or taking a Friday to do whatever, how can someone get involved? Where can they find the community around this? Yeah, so there's lots of ways, you know, people are starting to act individually, um, making choices about their lifestyle, you know, about what they eat and how they get around um, and um, what they consume, where they get their energy from, all this sort of thing. And, and those are really important things. I get asked a lot about that. But I think probably the most powerful thing to do, because it does require system level change, is to be involved in an organization like extinction rebellion and there's a few others but extinction rebellion is the one that seems to be has got the, the formula and the you know the momentum with it right now um i think the first thing people can do is to really learn about what's going on so find some credible sources on the internet about the climate emergency um there's some, you know on the extinction rebellion website there's a fantastic talk you can watch which kind of lays out the facts and and it makes the case for why this course of action is a plausible and a potentially effective one um but there's lots of talks out there and learning understanding why and then there is lots of ways to be involved so with extinction rebellion is really cool you know there's a, a huge amount of people in extinction rebellion aren't really available for various reasons you know they're, they're you know in a very privileged position where i feel i can be arrested it's not a requirement it's very important to say it's not the main thing about extinction rebellion anyone can get involved supporting you know producing as people doing media stuff supporting other people creating these regenerative communities working in um, all sorts of different ways it's huge and in fact i, I listened to a, a question in a talk few months ago and someone said to this kind of guy who was you know this amazing person said what can I do and this kind of expert guy said look in this situation 
anything that you do which has got the intention of addressing it is a powerful thing you know your particular skill set your particular connections your network you can use that anything you can do may be the thing that turns into this amazing thing for example Greta Thunberg did not know when she started her thing that it was going to produce a global movement she just did it on her own very bravely very amazingly but eventually it turned into something absolutely massive and we don't know where the the tipping point here is going to be what is going to be that thing that really captures people or really gains this you know this critical mass i hope that it will come and anything you can do is really good but i think an organization like extinction rebellion has got the experience behind it they've been learning and developing this you know these techniques for many years learning from all the other social movements around the world and all the other environmental movements that have happened in the past and also all sorts of a social justice movement they've got this experience this understanding of how things can be changed and i find them credible and trustworthy and I'm going to try and follow them and do what they're doing for a while and put my energy into what they're doing. I think that's really powerful. So I'd say, yeah, get out there, learn a bit about what's going on, learn about the climate emergency, really open your heart to what that means to you and the people that you love, and then take action commensurate with your understanding, whether that is becoming you know, more plant-based diet, stopping flying, joining Extinction Rebellion, or whatever it is you want to do, there are three things that I think are quite good to do, but do whatever you think kind of fits this idea that we're in an emergency, we're in grave danger, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? And I kind of trust people to find their way through that themselves. It's not for me to prescribe. I think it's one step follows another once you open your heart to this situation. I love that. Anything you can do that matches your skill set, that's a very powerful message. All the videos, by the way, that you've mentioned, I, I'll get a link off you after we finish recording and yeah. I'll put them in the show notes. That'd be so awesome, yeah. You can watch that and, and to all the organizations as well. I love, by the way, how the social movements are supporting each other as well. Mm. Like a lot of the organizations aren't saying, well, it's our way, not Extinction Rebellion way. They're like, I get newsletters from all of the different organizations and they keep referring back to each other. I'm like, guys, yeah. support up this as well. So, you know, people yeah. are unified by the cause and I think that's very powerful. And so, yeah, it's magic. And I think what you, you know, I think well, we should be a little bit more like Etienne Stott. <laughs> oh man, look, that's very nice of you to say, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important just before you, you said, I wanted to say one thing that actually this, you know, this environmental movement, is a social justice movement. Actually, at the very bottom of this is a social justice. It's about trying to make the world better and a little bit fairer, because at the moment, I believe the inequality in the world is a symptom, actually, of the system that is also the same system that is consuming our world and, and, and you know ravaging our future and taking, taking our futures away from us. So it's a social justice movement. So every single person who's kind of interested in uh, social justice and, and a way of and, a, and perhaps creating a better societies for ourselves and fairer societies as kind of climate change is a threat to that but there's so many other threats that anything you can do is is a really powerful thing but I think that the environmental side is probably the most urgent thing as I see it which is going to affect all these other social justice issues as well so um, yeah, and, and I think it's very nice of you to say to try to be like me, but I really believe that I trust the, the goodness in human beings, in every person. I believe in human potential. That's from my sporting past. You know, everybody can do more than they can ever imagine when they actually try 
and this is the situation where we need to bring our ourselves to the table, put ourselves into the game, push our comfort zones a little bit in service of this idea that we're kind of trying to follow this this powerful path for ourselves which we can actually regain rather than just being these small people that just get worked over by circumstances we actually have got a stake here and we can we can affect it so for me that's really cool and it's really nice of you to ask me all these questions and i hope i've not given such long answers i feel very self-conscious but thank you no no, i'm very grateful i think that's a really good way to wrap it up yeah i'm saying be a bit more like etienne and etienne's saying follow your heart and get involved in there and and do what feels right for you so the long answers you know what i'm after i wanted to hear you you talk about this and you've done so very eloquently so i'm very grateful thank you very much etienne for taking the time and where can they get in touch or, or find you? Are you are you on social, any of the social medias? Or how yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter. There's only one Etienne Stott in the world, I believe. Um, <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, but I, I've I've yet to really mobilise my social media stuff. I might try and make a YouTube channel or something like this. Um, but people can get in touch with me, you know, through the canoeing network and you know, just have these conversations and I'm sure we'll bump into each other out there and, you know, get this, get this on, man, get this moving. Sounds good. Etienne start on, on Twitter and, uh, and yeah, thanks very much for taking the time. Let's wrap it up and, and close it there. I really appreciate it. Keep inspiring. Thanks so much to Etienne for sharing. I've included a bunch of videos in the show notes and links. Uh, one, is of Etienne winning gold at the Olympics. I think that's pretty cool to see, just a few minute long video and a sequence of links directly from Etienne that he feels are worthwhile watching and reading. And I've left a link to Etienne's Twitter handle if you want to connect with him. Um, I've taken now a two break episode from the series on engaging the masses, but I'm getting back to that next episode. The series, which is four episodes so far, is digging deep into research, thought leaders and and the history of social change to work out how we bring all of that into our own work and pulling on my own background in business and sales and performance, sport also, um, to add my own personal twist into the mix. And ultimately that series is all about helping you engage the masses in a powerful and effective way with whatever your passion projects are. So if you haven't heard the first four parts, you can check them out, they're online. However you're listening to this, you should be able to find those episodes two but next episode i get back onto that and i'm excited to do that now thanks for listening let's all be a little bit more like etienne (laughs) or if we're to listen to etienne which we probably should do let's all do more of whatever it is that resonates and works for us but do it with a sense of urgency and integrity that we can look back on and be proud of in the future this is sam ward climate change unfolding we'll see you next time